Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is Thursday, uh, let's see, August the 13th, 2020, and it is time, ladies and gents, donks and donkettes, uh, for Morning Combat Extra, an all-UFC 252 preview show. We're not getting to hardly anything else but that. Hi, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm one half of your hosting duo, the gentleman over there you know from CBS Sports, as well as many other check-cashing opportunities. He's the conspiracy to my theory. It is Brian Campbell, B.C., I'm pretty pumped for UFC 252. Where is the, uh, you know, fired up O meter for you? Uh, my thing is up. My thing's pointing upward. Jay, can you shut your mic off? Yeah, there, Jay, you want to mute your uh, microphone I mean, there, you know, genius? Thank you. It's a live show, Jay. I know you're on a conference call here during our live show. It's real <laughs> professional. But uh, Luke, you know me. I'm easy. Offendy bag and a bad attitude. That's all I need to get me in a good mood. But you want to give me what I consider to be the most prestigious and important fight in UFC history. Yeah, I just took out my wad of hyperbole and smacked it against your face. But I think it's true, Luke. This fight on Saturday matters, and I am fired the hell up. All right, so let's get to it here very quickly if we can. Uh, obviously, housekeeping notes. Uh, give the video a thumbs up, please. We always appreciate that when you do. Hit that subscribe button. You're getting an extra episode of MK. Our salary doesn't change. We're just doing this for free, ladies and gentlemen, so do us a solid and give us the old subscribe. And if you want to watch Showtime, because hello, Showtime Boxing comes back on Saturday. BC and I are going to be here again for the weigh-ins, I think tomorrow at 10.45 a.m. Uh, with the return of David Benavidez. Uh, go to Showtime.com right now. You can try it for 30 days for free. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can go pound sand. Um, all right, BC. And all UFC 252 edition of the show. Is there anything we have to get out of the way so we can, you know, so Jay can go to his precious conference call with business yes. unrelated to the show? Thank you very much. Let's get right into it. Luke, you celebrated your 41st birthday last week, which we talked about. But look, friend of the program, maybe a guy who's trying to penetrate deeper than just our DMs, the great Greek god of thunder and graphics, Christos Christophoros. It, this might be his best work. He's got two surprises for us today but the first one is a reaction to how many times on this show and on that other show java for jerks that you do that you've honestly mentioned at 41 eh, birthdays kind of suck it's father's day that what matters so jay can you hit the clicker this is what web spring web scream gave us to celebrate that notion <laughs> luke yes morning combat all gains are loyal <laughs> that is awesome that is great what is the, uh, what is the, uh, is this from the Schwarzenegger movie where he gives birth or something? Yes, I think I'm playing the role of, uh, not Danny DeVito, that's from, uh, that's from Twins. Uh, who's the guy that, that, that I don't know, Jay, Jay would tell us, but he's on a conference It was Danny DeVito, no, but he wasn't pregnant in that movie, it was a different movie. No, this was the, the Arnold pregnant movie that I refused to see because it's just, it's, it was a bizarre premise for me. You know, I want to see it's Arnold, stupid, like... Yeah. Dressed up in a pinstripe suit in raw deal, uh, you know, kicking yeah. people in the crotch. That's what I want to see. All yeah, right? well, but, you know what? I, mean, uh, I appreciate I appreciate that. Uh, it's hilarious. You know, uh, the quarantine twenty was real. I've worked it off, but you know, now, now the gains begin for real. Oh, oh, Jay, Danny DeVito. Called, Jay says the movie is called Junior, and that it was yes. Danny DeVito. I have to tell you, Danny DeVito, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the movie Twins. 
underrated 80s classic, BC. Amazing. Ama great chemistry between the two, like you and I, Luke. And look at the expressions on our face in that great picture from Web Scream. I could frame that poster and replace over this uh, Rose Joanna 2. Uh, you know, with that one, that'd be great. I'd also spend some time in Ioana's DMs, but that's another. That's look, that, we don't we don't really go there normally. Yes, we don't need to get into your lasciviousness right now. Okay, let's kick this off if we can. This is Morning Combat Extra, so it's a little bit more free flowing. But this is an all UFC 252 edition. BC, let's start here. I think with an open part of the conversation. And you and I, when we were planning the show, we didn't give our takes away, but we were thinking about what was at the top of our mind before we talk about the main event and the matchup. You and I were telling each other, like, okay, we had lost, for folks who may not realize, the initial fight that was supposed to open the main card was the rematch from UFC Norfolk between Ion Kutelaba and Magomed Ankalaev, and that was the crazy one where Kutelaba acted weird and the fight was stopped by referee um, Rockabilly. I forget his name now. But uh, that he Rock got wait, COVID. Re referee Rockabilly? Did you just go he there? Lo he looks like he's the lead singer in a Rockabilly band. I always forget his name. Uh, okay, Kevin, Mc okay. Kevin McDonald. Kevin McDonald. I'm sure he's a nice guy. Kevin McDonald uh, of the Stray Cats. Is that where you're going? Okay, yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, so here, here's my point about this. They moved that off, so there's only four fights on the card. We don't know exactly which one will fill in that last detail. It'll probably be the return of Jim Miller, or a second fight, I should say, but the return since uh, his last one, obviously, against Vince Pichel. But starting here, we were talking about how we're kind of excited for the card. The main event, stellar. For me, we'll talk about this later. The co-main event is absolutely can't miss. And yet, BC, I have to tell you, we have detected not a lot of enthusiasm from the fan base. Why is this main event so consequential and yet the fan base so tuned out? This has been such a weird build, okay, off the top. A great fight. UFC, look, they haven't gone out of their way to promote it. I'm going to be really honest. They have not put the money in and blasted the horns behind this. Maybe they do understand, Luke, that there is a limit when you put DC and Stipe together to how much you're going to cross over and create that general fan buzz. But the odd thing about this fight is I feel like my boxing fan friends, the ones who are more general about UFC, who maybe like it, don't love it, but only know six or seven fighters, these are two of the six or seven that they know. I was doing a boxing podcast with my guy, Rafe Bartholomew. He's like, oh, I know both of these guys. Damn right, I'll watch their third fight. So the semi-cash, the filthy semi-cashes, they're all in. But it's our hardcore brethren that almost from the beginning have been like, you know what? I don't feel like we need to learn anything from this. And that just blows my mind, Luke. I love that these two guys are willing to do a fight this important in this quarantine in an empty arena. And let's really be honest about what's at stake. The battle of each other, first of all, the heavyweight championship, that whole title, which we could debate if you want, as to whether the winner will actually be the greatest heavyweight of all time. Oh, and they might F around and get a triple-double and end up with the greatest trilogy that not just UFC but MMA has ever seen when you consider the stakes of all three fights and the competitiveness and... We'll tease on it. We'll get into it. That guy, John Jones, is up in the bullpen, whether you believe it or not. There are so much things surrounding this fight. My juices are flowing. I'm fired the heck up. I can't keep it in tight knitwear around my groin area. I'm so excited. And I feel like all the people, um, you know, who live this, who drink this, who eat this, are just sort of like, yeah, ho-hum, who cares? Who cares? F you. F you, bro. You know, it's weird. It's like, I didn't see DC do a huge media push the last couple of weeks. I mean, I saw him do some interviews with, you know, Mainstays, uh, MMA Fighting, Junkie. Obviously, he does the show on Mondays with Ariel, and that's big. 
Um, Don't forget about this state of combat podcast on CBS Sports. He had a great interview on that this week. I heard. Well, okay. So I mean, he's done. He's done the things inside the bubble, so to speak. When I say MMA, and they're not small places. But I didn't. I mean, maybe I'm wrong about this, but it didn't make the rounds. If he did, he didn't. Again. He may have done first take, but if he did, I didn't hear about it. He may have done, you know, you name it, uh, whatever show. I didn't. It didn't make the rounds if he did, and I'm kind of surprised by that. And Stipe, too, has been very quiet. The only headlines he has made was his objection that I saw to this fight being in the small cage, which we will also get to. So here's one hunch, or at least theory I have, BC. I wonder what you make of it. It's not that the UFC is backing down from pay-per-views, but I think they're being a little bit selective about it. As everyone knows, they get a check from ESPN, guaranteed money for every pay-per-view, no matter what. And then when it sells really well, they get gravy on top. They know that the economy is not great. They know that it's going to get worse probably in the coming months before it gets better at all, if and when that ever happens. I mean, I'm sure it will happen, but you know, on what timeline, I don't know. So they can't not do pay-per-views. That's probably part of their contract. But I think they're, they might be saying to themselves... You know, we got Adesanya Costa at Fight Island, and we really believe in the future of this division and these two guys. We will go all in on it. When we have, you know, when Nurmagomedov comes back, we will go all in on it. And it's not that they don't want to go in all, all in on Company Guy DC, but if you have to pick, you know, which ones you're going to really emphasize, believe well, like, it or look, not, what? from a marketing standpoint, like the, the last two fights did not clear 400,000 buys. I think they're just looking at this and saying, we're going to put our resources elsewhere. And, it, and it's and it's not a it's not an unintelligent financial move, right? DC, one of the greatest B sides of all time, a great gregarious, humble seller of your product, but not a guy that people will jump out of the building to see fight anyone. And then look, I mean, people bet against Stipe all the time. They also don't think he's that exciting, and that's part of the deal here. By the way, Stipe's new salad. Have you been watching the Embedded? Uh, not, mm. The haircut makes him look ten years younger. There, a little bit of a late career change. I'm kind of down with that. You? No? No, I didn't. I haven't seen it. I've not watched the Embedded. That's another thing. Right. It's like who's watching the? Uh, no one has shared it on Twitter. Nothing has like come around. I mean, it's been really weird this week. You've not the seen a lot of people. Snuck up on They're us. treating when it like was a fight the last night? time, Luke. A, a championship trilogy bout snuck up on you. It's it's it happened. Right. It's legit. It happened. So what's this? Let's real quick. What's the pay per view ceiling? Um, you know, given the current times, given everything we just established, what does this fight do under traditional pay per view terms? Yeah, traditional pay per view terms, three or less, probably two fifty k, something 250K? like that. Two fifty k. Wow. Yeah. I'm I'm thinking five to seven just on the no. even though it wasn't promoted great but no nothing no dude no there's no n- neither guy as an a side has ever pulled that no chance and you could say even the one that stipe did well in cleveland ohio when he fought alistair that's when he had cm punk as his i don't know if it was co-main anymore but whatever it was on the main card he was doing that i mean i, I was totally against that experiment but in fairness to him he was doing the heavy lifting at that point um, for that um, opportunity so no chance no chance I mean the first one did I think three and some change and the second one did right around four and the second one was better than the first but it was also much more heavily promoted this one right. feels just like oh Weidman fought last week DC's fighting this week and that's just what it'll be um, all right with that in mind let's sort of start with the beyond the 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 marketing of it let's talk about what is really at stake here I put out a video yesterday on my YouTube channel the conversation around this fight has gone in three escalate well one direction but three escalating tiers first it was baddest man on the planet which is a decent marketing gimmick and if you wanted to find baddest probably true on some level but you know a fun little thing to hang your hat on not necessarily all that serious 
And then it got to, well, the winner of this will be the best UFC heavyweight of all time. And now it's sort of escalated as maybe the winner of this is the best all-time heavyweight. BC, I can buy the idea that the winner of this, in particular if it is Stipe, can be crowned best all-time UFC heavyweight. And I'm not suggesting that the person who wins is somehow removed from the conversation about all-time best MMA heavyweight. But I do not look at Saturday's main event as the ultimate arbiter of the final tally about who gets it. Where are you in this conversation? Look, that's a fair way to say it. I am leaning more toward the idea that, look, I thought the rematch may be that decider of who's the greatest heavyweight of all time. You know, specifically if DC had won that and he didn't. So now it's like we're doubling down on those stakes. Yeah, to me it is because the the history of the heavyweight division has involved people winning the title and then giving it right back, whether it's Randy Couture getting stripped for reasons or people getting knocked out or injuries. Like when Stipe Miocic became the first man to defend the title three times and the only man, I mean, it's still mind-blowing that it took so long and it became him as the guy to do that because we had seen, although through a history of very shallow pool of contenders, we'd seen some really good fighters from Couture, you know, all the way through to Cain Velasquez and then on. Um, People hate my take when I say, I'm still going to argue that Kane's the greatest heavyweight I've ever seen. I know that's more of a one night or two night or three night sort of pound for pound argument in terms of on your best night, was he the best heavyweight we've ever seen? Look, the resume just doesn't hold up because his career fell apart. So when you take all that into consideration, if Stipe wins, yeah, he's the greatest heavyweight champion of all time in UFC. Outside of Fedor, he's in that conversation for greatest heavyweight. The resume is too sick. I've been, you know, slow and coming around on him. He'll he'll age like a fine wine in terms of how I rate him. Uh, he's knocked out everyone that's mattered that he could, could have fought, even if you argue this point, Luke, that he never got to fight Kane, who I'm making an argument for. It just That's just the way it happened, right? But if he beats Daniel Cormier two out of three times, like, yeah, there's no question. So the flip side of that argument is what if DC wins? And I hear whether it's you or anybody else saying that's such a small resume at heavyweight because let's be honest, Daniel Cormier has been around forever yet. His career's only been 11 years long and a five-year block of his fame was at 205. But if we just made that long argument that Stipe is... He has to be the greatest UFC heavyweight champion of all time, especially if he wins. And DC has the chance to get two wins over him? What's going to hold you back at that point? It would be different if DC didn't have a resume to go with this. If he didn't have that level of success at 205, where he won the championship, where he beat big names, yeah, he lost to John Jones one and a half times or twice or however much you're going to count all the asterisks. But what DC was able to do was get himself right on the edge of that conversation for being at that upper table, being in the GOAT room. So if he beats Stipe twice with that, I don't care that the that the sample size is that small because all these other heavyweights had broken career runs as it is, right? Kane never got to find out how great he can be. Randy Couture was piecemeal here and there, and then he'd catch some losses in between. So I get your point that it's not with a bullet that there's always going to be ambiguity. And I get anyone else's point that this sport's like 25 years old, so can we stop making everybody the greatest? (laughs) But these two guys coming into this fight, what makes this truly special to me, and this rivalry truly special to me, is that both guys, Luke, had largely cemented who they were historically before this trilogy ever started, and then this gave them the chance to put that giant capstone, uh, you know, thing on mountaintop thing on the top. So... 
I mean, seriously, if you're going to love Stipe that much, how is two wins over him by DC potentially going to keep him out of that? Not only do I think the greatest heavyweight will be the one who wins on Saturday, I think DC's in that, that final five or six for greatest fighter of all time, even without a win over John Jones. So, I mean, if, again, it's not like I'm super married to this argument, Brian, but it's like, let's, let's make it just for the sake of making it. What would be the case against DC, even if he wins for being the best UFC heavyweight? And the answer is, as you know, the resume just wouldn't be long enough or big enough. You could sort of point to his best wins. He would have the two over Stipe, which would obviously be the best ones. And then you would say Mir and Nelson, he got certainly in the UFC, Lewis, um, and then the strike force. Barnett, look, when he beat Barnett, that was valid. Five rounds. And and also, like, when he beat Antonio Silva, remember, Antonio Silva's name doesn't mean a whole lot now, but when he beat him, that was when, and Silva was coming off the win over Fedor. A stoppage win over Fedor, no less. So, like, that was Antonio like, Silva at an all-time high, look, and let Cormier me smoked him. Let, let's not forget when that Strike Force Heavyweight Grand Prix was announced. I know that DC didn't have to beat Fedor or Overeem in that because, or, or Verdum because of how things fell. But if you were going to make the argument in 2011 or whatever that Strike Force had a better heavyweight division than the UFC, then Daniel Cormier coming in as a late replacement with only five or six career fights and running the table and winning the tournament and beating a very dangerous Bigfoot and a guy who still had it in Barnett, then you got to say that that was UFC worthy, that that's a major part of the argument at this point. No, no, to me, the Barnett win still stands the test of time as one of his absolute very best wins. To me, I count that much more than the Mir and Nelson and Lewis wins, quite frankly. Because um, also, not merely his, his lack of experience, but the fact that it went the full distance and that he was able to showcase everything he had to and that there were times Barnett was kind of really in his face. I mean, it's, it's a phenomenal win by him. But here's basically the argument. And again, I don't know how strong it is, it's two things. One, on the Cormier side, the problem that he's up against is it's not really that the resume is small and that he beat Stipe. The problem is the kind of math you begin to do in your head. Listen, would I favor, if he had stayed at heavyweight, a uh, prime DC or you know MMA prime DC over any of the guys that Miocic beat? Yes, I would have. I, I favored him the second time he, favored, or he fought Miocic, but then he got beat. This is my point. It is not it is, that it is intuitively wrong to assume that if you beat uh, Miocic twice, you couldn't have beaten any of those other ones. But that's not the same as actually doing it. You have to go out there and doing it. And sometimes you zig when you're supposed to zag. And sometimes you get food poisoning on fight week. Sometimes your opponent just has the performance of their life. You cannot grant them wins that you think are plausible just because they're very, very talented. They actually have to go out and do it. It's why you and I are in lockstep about Kane. Is Kane, when in his prime, was he the most talented heavyweight and the most fearsome guy I'd ever seen in MMA? Yes. But he cannot be considered all-time great for the same reasons that I'm now limiting some of the scope of what is possible with a win against Miocic. However, I, I will grant you, to me, if Miocic wins, I don't even know how you could have a debate at that point about all-time great you UFC can. heavyweights. You can't. Because he would the have DC beaten... The DC one's fair. Yeah. Luke, can so, I hit so, you with... Hold, hold on, hold on. Let me, fin- let, me, let me finish just for a second, please. Just quickly to make the case for Miocic, the whole point here is he has had three losses in his career. Struve... Uh, DC and JDS. He has avenged two of them, and you couldn't even make the Struve rematch. It wouldn't even make sense at this point. So to me, when you're a guy who can basically say you've avenged all your losses and you hold UFC gold, that's what St. Pierre was able to say. That is very, very high level. That's Lennox Lewis. That's Lennox Lewis shit right there. 
Two losses avenged them both by knockout. Look, Stipe's 10-2 since the Stefan Struve loss. Avenged both of those guys and has knocked out everyone except for, what, he went the distance with Ngannou, Francis. which is an incredible yep. win. And then what was the other early one he went the distance with? Was it Roy? Uh, I, for, I forget. All right. But JDS, that, JDS wanna, maybe? I want to hit you with a couple. Uh, uh, he lost the decision to JDS. Let me hit you with a couple lightning distance, round ones about this topic, Luke. Okay, real quick. Okay. Uh, why do people kick my Randy Couture argument to the curb when I can argue that he was atop the heavyweight game almost in like two or three mini eras back when it was like archaic and you wore shoes all the way through until he lost to Brock and I know that his level of competition wasn't great but you have to understand Luke if it wasn't for politics Randy Couture would have already had the defense record locked up yes why do they dismiss it one because he's small Two, he is more commonly associated with light heavyweight, which is not really fair, but he just is. Uh, three, the UFC has kind of, you know, forgotten him a little bit, kind of Frank Shamrock-esque, uh, given some of the uh, disputes he has had with them. And I also just feel like, not that the argument is poor, but that, m- here's the thing, what are his two best wins in modern MMA at heavyweight? The Tim Sylvia win and then the Gonzaga win. Those are the two biggest ones, and those are good. Those are great. But I think that uh, a lot of folks would say you lost to Barnett when you had a chance, even though he popped in that fight, and you did some other good work at heavyweight. But your two best wins are those. Sure, you may have gone between two divisions, many eras, but if we're just counting your best wins, they don't count as much. And Randy has more in the emotional bank where where I want to overrate him because, you know, he defied age, even though, let's be – look – Luke, I don't want to one day, you know, be old and find out my favorite sluggers were all juicing. But, uh, uh, you know, Manny Pacquiao during that run when he rose up, I'd like to see his blood test, okay? Randy Couture at 45 and 46, I'd like to see his blood test, okay? I love the Expendables movies. I'm not saying what you think I'm saying, but I might be saying it. Anyway, let me come back at you with another kind of zinger here. I talked to DC this week. He was freaking great. But on one hand, Luke... The reason why I love him is because unlike a lot of fighters, he tells you, I care about legacy. This fight's all about legacy. But on the other hand, when I get really pinpoint on his legacy, when I really dig in and get get fickle, that's when he says, look, this fight against Stipe on Saturday, my legacy's already secured. Nobody else can take away from me. So here's the scenario. I mean, what is it, DC? Is it one or the other? Here's the scenario I want to hit you with. I put him in that GOAT table when he knocked out Stipe. When DC lost the rematch, there were a lot of people who were like, dude, pull him back a little, okay? Pull him back a little. If he loses to Stipe on Saturday, does he lose the right to be in the larger greatest of all time conversation because of, although he was a two-division champion, he never beat the best guy, John Jones, despite two chances, and while at heavyweight, he would have lost twice to the greatest heavyweight, Stipe, if he wins on Saturday, and never got a chance to beat the other guy in the argument for greatest heavyweight, Cain Velasquez, because he was such a great friend. It, it kind of, yes, it would be hard. I, I, I have to be honest. If DC loses on Saturday, it, one win or loss shouldn't remove you, but it would. It would remove him from that GOAT consideration. Yeah, it prob- it, well, it depends how he loses. You know, I mean, let's say he gets stopped again or something. That might, because it wouldn't be that the first win was a fluke. It would be that you couldn't do it twice. You could not say the reasons I beat him the first time were replicable. I could show you that I had skill over time against this guy. Two years, three times fighting. You come up short twice. 
that is good evidence that the other guy was not really better on, on those evenings, but probably better overall. And so you could not discount the validity of the first win, but in the totality of the resume, the question is always how long are your title reigns? What contemporaries did you beat? You know, what belts did you hold? He's got some of those boxes checked off. But in terms of length, in terms of avenging losses, in terms of sort of rightfully staking a claim, he would come up short at light heavyweight by virtue of, uh, he'd get the belt by virtue of John's absence. And he didn't get it by virtue of Stipe's absence, but he couldn't hold on to it when he regrouped, if that's the end of the thing that happened. So yes, I do think it wouldn't, I mean, he would still be one of these guys that were like, how many guys were two-time champions simultaneously? Just him and Connor. Uh, or I guess him, Connor, now, and Henry Cejudo. So three, three people have done it. Not many. Two from the same Olympic team. Still, it would put a yeah. couple of conditions on assessing his greatness. And there's nothing wrong with being in that second tier of greatest fighters ever. If you're sitting at the table with Jose Aldo and Connor and Max Holloway and whoever you want to throw in there that are in that second tier, BJ Penn, Randy Couture, that's fine. But there has to be levels to the discussion of whether you're at the top table. Now, to close, I want to ask you this. I did ask DC... What would have happened if you were never such a great friend? If you never did 205 in light heavyweight? Now, I liked his answer. He said, look, without going down to 205 and proving to people that I can fight in two divisions, I wouldn't be in the conversation for the GOAT table. I respect that. But here's where I want to ask your opinion, Luke. His other beef with me saying, you know, hey, you could have already been the greatest heavyweight of all time if you stayed at heavyweight and weren't such a great friend, is he goes, look, I've been fighting Cain Velasquez in the gym for years. You know, that guy is still scary to me today, blah, blah, blah. I said, hey, DC, look, you can be real nice. You can be a great friend. But are you going to Rocky three his ass after this? If you beat Stipe and people are calling you the greatest heavyweight, does Kane text you and say, dude, meet me in the gym. No cameras, no witnesses. Ding, ding. Okay, like Rocky and Apollo. And he's like, oh, no. So he did the friend response. He said, oh, no. You know, I've been hit three quarters power by Kane. I don't want to get hit the full way. I want to ask you this. What makes DC maybe the best interview in the game? He's media trained and savvy. He's fun and gregarious. He's also really honest. Is he actually being honest when he does this? Has he been ground up so many times by Kane through the years in the gym that he's just like, look, part of the reason why I was such a great friend and went to 205 was because I knew I couldn't beat that guy and I didn't want to break the relationship. Or does he maybe think, maybe, and I'm not saying this, but I'm presenting it, maybe think his friend is a you know, little soft, doesn't want to muddle the waters. Does DC know in his heart that if it was go time against his buddy Kane that he would have won and he just doesn't want to say it to keep harmony in the gym? Because I tend so, to believe that, all right? So here's, what, here's the answer that I, the best way I can understand it, which is I'm not a prize fighter. I've not trained in that kind of a way. But I, if you've ever trained at all and you've stayed at a place for a time, you develop not really friendships, but training relationships, relationships related to the mats themselves. And over time, I've had a couple of guys who were like, that's my number one training partner. I, I would always go to because they were heavyweight, I was heavyweight, and we would sort of duke it out. And what you find over time is, especially if you're, like, you're around the same development area, what you find over time is that, you know, yes, certain times, like uh, you know, months at a time, one guy will be better than the other. Certain scenarios, one guy will be a bit better than the other. But when you have a really good training partner like that, what you end up discovering is that I'm going to get the best of you and you're going to get the best of me. And sometimes I'm going to get my hand raised and sometimes you're going to get your hand raised. And it happens so often I would tap him in practice, he would tap me in practice, and then it would just take turns back and forth. 
You no longer consider it one of those tiered relationships. You have so many wins over them. They have so many wins over you. You don't count it anymore. You don't even think about it that way. So, look, could it be the case that in certain times Kane was much better and now DC is much better or vice versa, or like however you want to play it out where one guy was more dominant than the other? I'm sure that's the case. Whatever one it is now, I don't know. But I also know that like there have been times where DC had a great day and fucked Kane up. And I bet there's been days where Kane absolutely <laughs> stuck it to him, you know, and really made him reconsider what he was doing. And so when you do that, the score just gets lost. Who cares at that point? I bet you it's more something like that. All right, well, let me, let me put you on the spot. Is he the best friend of all time or is he the best businessman of all time in, in the decision <laughs> he made to go to 205? Um, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Look, if the condition was to train, you want to train at AKA, here's the condition. You got to go down to light heavyweight because Kane's our heavyweight guy. He made that deal. Now, that's a tough deal because the cut was hard. But to the point he raised and you just mentioned, it allowed him to win titles in two divisions by virtue of Kane's eventual absence, right? That's the first part. Or in strike force, whatever you want to call it. So there's that point. Two, it uh, allowed him to carve his own identity while still being close to Kane. I think it's sort of a big part there. And three, you know, partly there probably was some friendship involved there where he doesn't want to do this. I don't, they don't, like, well, AKA had... Why do you had, refuse to answer? Why, why here's, do you refuse no, here's to the thing. The AKA, remember, it's, it's AKA, had, hold on a AKA had lived through the Fitch Koscheck era of, are you guys going to fight each other? Yeah. Are you guys going to... I mean, it was every interview for years. And they were probably like, you know what? You want to come to this gym? This is our welterweight. You can be somebody, or you know, in that case, welterweight. You can be somebody else, but you can't be both. And that was an easy way to solve the problem. So partly, I bet it was gym politics. Now, we got to move on here real quick. I don't want to go away from the fight. BC, I mentioned Stipe made headlines for one thing, which was the size of the cage. 30 feet in diameter to 25 feet in diameter, smaller cage. There's some debates and some questions about what kind of action that produces. But Stipe was not in favor of it. Doesn't think it's going to hurt his chances, per se, but he didn't like it. Do you like the small cage for this particular fight? How do you think it changes it? It's an interesting question. We, we did have the debate in a more of a general sense a couple weeks ago, and I, I basically said, you know, for title fights, I, I wouldn't want it, right? I, I'd want all things to be largely equal. And if, if 80% of the time it's in a big cage, and for title fights, you know, 99% of the time it's in the big cage, then let's not change that UFC. I'm sure you've got a big cage around in Vegas that you can easily reconstruct and make it happen. Uh, it is what it is, though, Luke. So how is it going to change it? I mean... DC does better in close areas, right? He's such a great clinch fighter. He's the better wrestler of the two. So in theory, if this helps Stipe, if this helps DC close distance and make it more of a, a, a rough fight at close, at close range, I could understand Stipe's hesitance there. But at the same time, Stipe's not a giant mover. I mean, he'll be the... He has shown in the past he can be the you know, the, the matador to the bull if he has the better hand speed and techniques and he can set up his feints better. He also can straight up be the damn bull and walk you down and get you out of there. I don't think it's going to change that much in the end. I think it, it favors more... When you have somebody who has a distinct lack and a disadvantage of power, then when you're going to a small cage against a big puncher you're automatically going to, you know, make things tighter. These guys are fairly well-rounded athletes. They both can bang. They both have great chins. Small cage, large cage, phone booth. At the end of the day, Luke, I don't think this is actually going to be a, be a, be a, a topic we discuss afterwards. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it because I went back and I watched. We got a, I've got a dissected coming out on this. I, I went back and I watched both to see, like, what did DC do right? What did Stipe do right in the first one? I mean, he lost, but he did some things right. 
What did he change into the second fight and vice versa? And what I noticed was there are two things. One, there are times when both guys are just not really moving, usually in cases where Stipe is just accommodating DC and his fight style, the whole patty cake thing, right? Just standing there. I mean, it doesn't matter how big the cage is if you're just going to stand there. So, like, in that sense, it doesn't matter. And yet, in the first fight, it was a pretty clear goal by Stipe to get DC to the cage. Uh, Folks may not remember that because of the way things ended and the second fight wasn't really like that at all. But the first fight definitely was. He was pushing him to the fence constantly. So I was thinking to myself, wow, man, I don't know. I really think it's not a function of what DC is going to do unless he is wrestling against the fence. To me, it's more of an issue of is Stipe going to stick and move like calf kick, jab, and go? Uh, He did a really good job of clinch breaking on the second one, but that's not, you know, all that relevant here. To me, it's a question of who wants to wrestle against the fence. That's really going to be the key insight here. And Cormier might take more advantage of it, which is why I think Stipe is kind of like thinking about that. Because you can go back and look up between the rounds in the second fight, and his coaches, like Crazy Bob Cook and Javier Mendes, are like, dude, what are you doing? This is not the plan. Punch him yes. a little, kick him a little, and take him down. Wrestle him. They are explicitly pleading with him. I have to have a feeling that's going to be a bigger part. And if the cage is shorter... You know, oh, by the way, Stipe's takedown defense is very good. Uh, I still think that might be a bigger part, but, you know, we'll have to see. Um, lastly, for the first time ever in, the, in their matchup, Cormier is in some places uh, a betting underdog. Now, it's, it's mostly a pick everywhere, BC, but there are a couple places where you can get him as a dog, so just keep that in mind. All right. We move on to the co-main, Cheeto. Well, well, I'm not ready to go with the co-main, Luke. No oh, we got to talk John Jones, don't we? Yes, we do. Well, no, I, I, I want to get into this fight with you. That's why we're here, right? Yeah, all right. We're just running out of time. All right. I mean, I, I love storylines. I love legacy. But let's get into the actual damn fight. I want you to hear me out, and I want you to respond. I don't need your prediction or whatever at the end of the day if you don't want to give it. But here's what I'm going to say, Luke. What I said after the second fight really informs how I'm going to look at this third fight. Let's put all the things on the table. Yes, I've been a notorious Stipe doubter. Or maybe a, hey, he's, you know, he's really good. Is he all, you know, is he great, 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 great? I, I mean, he's gotten there. But, but I've been slow in getting there. Luke, I think when you add up the first fight and the first two and a half rounds of the second fight, DC's the better fighter in almost every category. Correct. It, it's not wide. But Correct. he's the better fighter across the board. So what I said after the second fight, and everybody said, oh, you're Skip Bayless and me with a hot take. No, it's the truth, okay? Here it is, Luke. Deal with it. Stipe didn't win the second fight. DC lost it. Oh. Stipe Miocic is a great fighter. Uh, we, you we've are, already been down this road. You can, you can, you oh, you are give canceled. You, you are canceled. Oh my okay? god. We, we, you and I had this debate. I think on the MMA beat, maybe it's fine. Whatever. It is what it is, Luke. Oh but, my god. but what I mean by that is this: Stipe Miocic is great. And his greatest <laughs> skills are in the intangibles. They're in stamina. They're in heart. They're in, you know, like, he's going to be there at the end of the day, whether he's pulling babies out of a burning tree or whatever. I mean, look, he's a freaking pillar of society. Why are if babies in burning trees? Cats in the windows, whatever you got. If yeah. you give Stipe Miocic a chance to beat you by making a mistake, he will beat you. He will outlast you. He's all that. But, Luke, DC's the better fighter. It is what it is. And here's what happened in that second fight. He didn't listen to his coaches. He stopped wrestling after the first round. And I asked him straight up last week. I said... 
Were you just not in the shape you needed to be? Because you gassed hard. You faded really badly. And Stipe, to his credit, found the adjustment to the body, took advantage of it. I respect DC's answer. He's, he basically told me that he cut corners ahead of that second camp. He came off the back surgery. Anytime things didn't feel right, they just shut down camp. And my take on this, Luke, is that I think DC got a little bit too big for his britches. I think he was playing with house money at that point. Let me explain. The first fight went easier than he thought or any of us thought. He thought he had that X's and O's technical advantage that when they separate from the clinch, that Stipe puts his hands down. Luke, he found the opening, perfect punch, great read, fight over. I think he started to maybe believe the DC juice a little bit too much. Do you remember the title defense against Derek Lewis? He took it on short notice for big money. He wasn't healthy. Guess what? He dominated that fight. I think DC got to a point where he's just like, I'm freaking DC. I don't care about injuries. I don't care about anything. I'll handle it. And I think he went into that rematch to his fault, Luke. Not a fluke. To his fault. Not fully ready. If you can guarantee me that DC's got five-round stamina this weekend, if you can guarantee me that he will wrestle a lot more than he did than either of the first two fights, I don't see how Vegas has Stipe as either even money or a slight, slight, slight favorite. I know Vegas knows a lot more than us. Hey, they had Chris Weidman favored all the way almost in that Akhmedov lead-in, and I'm like, what are you, crazy? Hey, they got it right, Luke. It ha- You know, it is what it is. I don't see how you can look at this fight and not realize it's going to be more tentative than the first two because there's so much on the line. And if you're going to go five full rounds and you're not going to gas out against Stipe and you can strike pretty evenly with him and you can fix whatever holes are there, I'm sorry, I don't think he's in that go conversation because I don't think he has those next level adjustments to win a fight unless DC gives him a chance to at this very level. You can burn me at the stake. I'll Joan of Arc all your asses. It's the truth, Luke. What are you going to do with that? Joan of Arc was executed by the state. So if you're going to Joan of Arc us, good luck with that. So here is why you're just spectacularly wrong about this. Well, actually, that's not true. You are right about the sense that I do think in having looked at the footage now a few times, I do think it is pretty clear that DC is uh, the better fighter of the two overall. But the problem is the inference you draw from that is wildly, the fuck, is wildly off the mark. Here's why. Just because you're the better fighter doesn't mean that if you're 51-49, yes, right, sort of the percentage of your chance to win or who's got the most talent in the cage. Um, there's a lot of things you, what the fuck, man? Whoa, whoa, Luke, Abuela cooking again? What's going on? No, I think my wife is attached to my goddamn speaker here, a Bluetooth, and it's fucking everything up. Uh, Uh Yes, she did. Hang on one second. God damn it. It's all right. Now it's on. It's not Jay's fault for once, so that's Yeah, it's not Jay's fault. Let me make the point here very quickly, and I apologize to the audience for that. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Just because you are the more talented fighter doesn't mean that if you fought 100 times, you would win 100 times. It doesn't mean that at all. In fact, it might mean you win slightly more than 50% of them. That's how close you can be. Now, how much better is DC than Stipe? That's a little bit debatable. Here's what I mean. I thought Stipe had a better first round in the first fight than he did in the second fight. However, I went back and I looked. What was the position from which DC got the knockout in the first one? Uh, Stipe, I made the notes here. Stipe kept looking for a right underhook 
and then control with his left hand here. He goes back to this position over and over and over again. Control the, the, with his left, that's DC's right, and then he has the underhook with his own right hand. That's when, remember, Cormier slipped the hook out and then popped him with the right. That's exactly how he did it. They found themselves in that position four different times in the second fight, and every time Cormier landed the exact same punch. So did he get unlucky the first time, or did he get lucky the second? I don't know, but clearly Cormier has just command of these positions and finds ways to them in ways that Stipe doesn't. The reason why you are wrong about Stipe, though, is, dude, you are not merely taking away his accomplishment like, like that he won. The ability to make those body shots count in the way that he did in the championship rounds, dude, that is what champions do. That is a championship I'm not saying that's level. Not, you're right. Hold on, hold on, you're hold right. on. But no, no, no. It's a championship level adjustment, and he left DC powerless as a result. And he did it in a round he was largely losing and found a way to come back in that fight. Dude, that is hardcore shit. And for you to say that that is a DC accomplishment or a DC failure, well, it goes yeah. two ways. But the bigger story there is look at what this guy did to secure the fucking bag. And that was grown man, championship okay, level, I highest of all time shit. It's why we are back here having this third fight, BC. Put Let some respect on his you. name. Does Steepy did Steepy make that incredible championship adjustment? Yes, but I'm telling you that I asked DC straight up. You were walking around in rounds two or three with your hands down. Did you not have respect for Steepy's power? He said, "Look, it wasn't that I didn't have respect. It was that I was able to land punches so easily that when he was hitting me back." I just got cocky and felt that I could take it, and I was eventually going to knock him out. Again, DC's fault. Luke, how did Stipe make that adjustment to the body? Because DC, A, faded, B, kept his hands down, C, stopped wrestling, and D, stopped listening to his corner. All four of those were DC failing that built a foundation to give Stipe the chance to make this championship adjustment. It wasn't as if he made the championship adjustment against a full-powered DC. I know I am splitting hairs right here, but against the very best, when you match them, splitting hairs is how you win the damn fight. And I think Stipe has been better than everybody else in this era because of intangibles more often than because of strategy. DC is in the conversation of GOAT because of the versatility and the IQ and the ability to make changes. And again, if he's not compromised by getting rocked or which can happen, Stipe can clearly rock him and win this fight or not compromised by screwing up with stamina issues. I have to favor DC all day. It'll be a hard fight. He may end up retiring anyway because of the damage, but I think it goes the distance and I think DC wins. And I'm fairly confident in saying that Luke, whether you will tell me who you think wins or not. I le I mean, again, I think predictions are a waste of time and largely unknowable. You can do them for fun. If you had to ask me, gun to my head, which way I'm leaning, I am also leaning towards DC. But to your point, let's talk about Ali and the rope-a-dope. Now, that is strategic in the way that he was doing that, right? He was intentionally sort of draining Foreman to come back later. That's not the same thing as, like, you know, making a bunch of errors that just allowed an opportunity for later or something like that, right? It's a strategic way to absorb abuse as a way of, of going forward. I, I understand that. I'm not uh, conflating the two. Also, because the person making the, the quote-unquote, sort of, rec you know, uh, uh, dangerous choices lost in the case of DC. 
But this is my point. He didn't know that that was going to work. It was an entirely e enormous risk against a huge puncher like that. My point being is, yes, I don't, you can draw a distinction between the John Jones stoppage of DC in the second of their two fights and then this one, whereas Jones just outsmarted him. I, I'm not telling you that that Jones KO and that Stipe KO are equivalent. However, what I am saying is, while I will grant that was probably DC not performing optimally from a strategic standpoint, uh, and, and by the way, going to the body is not necessarily like the most brilliant decision ever or something like that, right? So it's not obvious, but it's not like crazy genius either. He was taking abuse. He was somewhat lost. His coaches didn't even call for it. He made that choice on his own through his own recognition, and he rode that bitch all the way to the bank. I just feel like you can count the lack of DC being optimum while not discounting the heart and determination and skill and frankly kind of savagery that that took. Because you, by the way, he had to do that fighting at Patty Cake, which is still on DC's terms for the most part. He beat DC on DC's terms. You know, you could say he didn't, wasn't DC wasn't doing it optimally, but they weren't in those Patty Cake positions because of Stipe's choice. It was because DC had forced it there. So I get you. I'm not disagreeing with that, but you're a hater on Stipe, and that's the truth. Okay. I just uh, love we, truth. I love truth, Luke. I'm sorry. I love Stipe, by the way. Salt of the damn earth. If you love Stipe truth, then why too. do you believe in stupid-ass banking conspiracies? Luke, I, look, if you know, we'll do a conspiracy episode one day and lose our jobs. Maybe we'll put it on Patreon. But there's just there's <laughs> a lot of clues out there that I want you to be with. By the way, watch him embedded. Stipe, nice house, nice wife. You know, yeah, he's you doing know, well uh, done. He's, he don't need my respect. He's doing he's doing great. All right. Yeah, he's earned it. All right. So let's talk about this co-main event if we can. Sean O'Malley taking on Marlon Vera. If you look at the odds for this one, Brian, they've got Marlon Vera at around you know give or take. Plus 230-ish, give or take. And then they've got O'Malley around minus 280. Some places as high as minus 300. Pretty significant favorite. Do you view the fight as somewhat lopsided? This is what we have to figure out, Luke. We have to figure out if Marlon Vera, who won five in a row... Then lost a fight. A lot of people thought he won against Song Yudong and kind of got rewarded for his for his strong effort in a loss with this pay-per-view co-main. Is Kryptonite potentially for O'Malley? And will finally make Sean O'Malley have to show us real intangibles, Luke. We've seen from him when he's in the lead, when he's fighting the fight on his terms. He's spectacular. Obviously, anyone who's rising quick, you want him to, to hit the wall. You want him to have to have a plan B, C, or D. On paper, Marlon Vera is that guy. But I have, I've said this before. i got to say this again. i got to go back to Anderson Silva, Chris Lieben. When you do the math and, and go back and look it up, God, Lieben was like 5-0 and in the UFC, Luke. He was, he was doing big things. He wasn't that journeyman brawler with the big chin that he ultimately became, who we love. He was a reason why he was matched against an incoming Anderson Silva to see if he could do it on that level. And good God, was that, you know, some of the greatest striking we've seen in about 45 seconds. He pissed all over him. And we went from thinking, who is this guy? Yeah, I've heard he's pretty good to, oh, my God, we're watching a future champion and star. You're going to ask me right now, do I believe it's more toward the kryptonite side or more toward the this is going to be Silva Lieben all over again? I, I watched uh, I watched Sean O'Malley train on on embedded and it's look it's, it's he's training in a warehouse it's it you know th it, it, that ain't a fight but the more you watch the fluidity and the explosion and the confidence in who he is 
Good God, I love me some Cheeto Vera. And he swore on my podcast this week like 86 times, and it was great. Mm -hmm. He's got nice neck tats, too. A lot different than Austin Vanderford's neck tats. But um, I'm probably more of the belief that Sean O'Malley is going to come out on Saturday night knowing the stakes and absolutely blow our minds. And as good as Cheeto is, how good is he, Luke? If his ceiling is lower than we actually think, he may be in a spot to get blown away by Sean O'Malley in the kind of fight that will catapult him not just to stardom, but a title shot very quickly. Man, you know, people uh, who are no, – no, no one in my orbit really watches MMA unless it's, like, really, really big, you know, like Conor McGregor big or just something kind of like that. They, they, I think some of them watched Jorge Masvidal the last time, actually, so he's really broken through. But people in that, in that ilk will ask me on occasion, hey, man, who's, like, a, who's like the up-and-coming hot thing? Who's, like, the next big star? I'm not ready today to recommend Sean O'Malley. I have a high degree of respect, but you got to earn it. You got to prove it. You have to show me that the reason for your enthusiasm is very well placed. And and everything he has done to this point, from the Wineland and Sukumtat and the wins over uh, the folks on the Contender Series, I mean, there's no reason to say anything bad about him. But we're not saying anything bad about him. We're trying to figure out just how good you are. Let me explain something to you. You go in there and you beat Chito Vera, especially in the way you've been beating opposition. You're the new it guy that I'm telling all the casual yeah. fans about. And I don't do that very easily. I'm very, very judicious with that. I mean, the last time somebody asked me that, I remember I went on a local morning show here, and it was uh, right around UFC 200. And they were, this was uh, obviously, you know, a huge weekend because they had sold the UFC and everything. And I went on a local morning show here, and they asked me, who's the next guy we should pay attention to? And I had reserved that space for Nurmagomedov at that point i was telling them that's the guy you got to be watching now i'm not saying that if you beat vera you're as advanced as khabib was at that point but i'm simply saying that's kind of how i look at you at that point where, where you are ultimately probably going to be headed dude chito vera you everyone needs to accept this is an absolutely phenomenal talent he is very talented colin oyama has done an incredible job pulling him into this this he is, he is talented everywhere. He is tough as shit. He has a ridiculous chin, which makes the O'Malley fight very interesting because uh, Vera is extremely hard to hurt. He took John Lineker's best punches and then some and just walked into him. He is, he is a tough SOB. Plus, he has a ridiculously good guard. He is offensive-minded. He has great striking. And he is not intimidated even a little bit. So you go out there and you beat a quality opponent like that. And again, in let's say... Sean O'Malley style I know he's already popular with the insiders I know that that youth sort of portion of the fan base they're already in touch with what he's doing the numbers already speak to that but there are several layers BC you would agree with this there are several layers several uh, other demos he has not even scratched the surface of reaching you beat him on this weekend in the way that people think he might be able to and I'm telling you he's the next big thing no doubt about it yeah, when you haven't seen him yet in the deep end of the pool in the areas that we need to see, to use all those cliches, you don't really know. You can only piece together you know, things that you feel from watching the interviews or from other fights. And 
I don't know, Luke. I feel a guy who has only benefited from his two years away from that drug suspension, who spent a ton of time working on himself, both, you know, the outward self in terms of the fight game, but also the inward self. I see a guy who is more than ready to be that star and might just have those intangibles. Again, you're not going to know it until Cheeto Vera lands a big shot and has him on his back and there's adjustments to be made. But he also has that type of next level talent that are we going to see the hot knife through butter? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised because he really, really could be that dude. And, uh, you know, I don't know if he's my flavor. If I was just a fan right now, if I'd be all in. But he, like we've talked about, he just connects with the with the 20 somethings right now in such a such a unique way that uh, I'm all for where he's going. But God, I can't wait for this fight. You said you said on Twitter that you you're more excited for this fight than the damn main event. Yes. Explain yeah. yourself, you Armenian so here, guy. Here, here, here. Here's the reason why I even said it by far. The reason why is not that there is anything wrong with the main event. The main event is great, and probably by virtue of what is at stake, I mean, it's a title fight, to say nothing of the trilogy and everything else, there's more at stake there. It deserves to be the main event. I, I understand that. I'm not telling you you have to feel the way I feel. I'm just telling you what my personal likes are. And the reason why I like this so much, Brian, is because everyone's going to be different, but to me, to me, and I had this conversation with Brendan Shaw, but I've made this point for years. One of the most, and frankly, my favorite time in a fighter's career is when, for the ones who eventually become champions, and I don't mean like late in life, like a Bisping, although he had a great career as well, but I mean the ones who just go from straight line through contenders all the way to the title. I don't know if O'Malley is getting there, but the most exciting time for me for Nurmagomedov is when he was coming up, it's like, can he beat this guy? Can he beat this guy? Can he beat this guy? And they do. Dude, the level of enthusiasm that I had when John Jones was going through Brandon Vera and Matt Yushchenko. Matt, the janitor, like, yeah. I was so fired up for that fight, yes. Well, I mean, if you knew the backstory about how prepared John was, you'd be like, how well is he going to do? And that he fucking destroyed him is unbelievable. And then coming in there and beating Guzmao and then, and then Bonner, it's like, dude, when the guy is on the come up through contenders, if Sean yes. can do that, that's a big if. But that moment in time in a fighter's life, when they're making you, every time they get out there, they're forcing you to reimagine the possibilities of what is, what is true about them on the good side, when they're forcing you to, like, get, to, to, to break all the barriers in your mind about what is, what is realistic and possible, to me is absolutely thrilling. It is exciting. It is what gets me up. And 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 we need I can't a term stop for that, thinking Luke. about the. I don't know what the term is, but dude, that's the moment when they when the when the rocket ship is headed to the moon. Not when yes. they get there, although that's great too. For me, that's my favorite time in the fight game, and I don't know, but I think Sean might be on it. Yeah, I mean, look, Jake Hager calls it a phoner, right? A fight boner when you're just, I mean, you know, uh, he's rock hard with emotion. You know, when Connor, for example, fought Dennis Seaver, it was right at that moment. I don't know what the term needs to be, Luke, but we'll be full masked if, if Sugar Sean does it on Saturday. Now, here's the question, though, and I, I want to make sure that we get to this, too, very quickly. What if Vera wins? What if Vera goes in there and says, you know what, y- y'all, you did the old Roy Jones thing, you're almost a forgot, right? And he goes in there and beats Sean O'Malley, and like, again, without controversy, whatever that is supposed to mean. How much do we need to rethink Marlon Vera? He is still in his 20s too, I believe. He is a commentator. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a commentator he's crazy young. on the Spanish side for the UFC. It's like, well, wait a second. UFC, it's heads they win, tails somebody else loses. Like, they, they get the benefit no matter what here. 
But to what extent will you reconsider Marlon Vera by virtue of a win on Saturday? Oh, huge, because that would be six wins and seven fights in which you can argue he won all seven with that close fight with Yudong, who's no fool. He's a you know unbeaten guy looking to crash the party as well. He's only 27. He's fought 14 times, Luke, in something like just over three years since his UFC debut. And he's gotten a lot better than that original run when he's losing to the guys you'd expect to for an unknown and really putting his career together. Uh, this division's so deep that I don't think you know this win catapults him if he can get it into the title picture but what he told me this week was you know he's ready for top top 10 top maybe even top five opponents if he can get it it would be a big enough win as a pay-per-view co-main to really warrant either getting a top five or getting one of those older names who could maybe sell the fight as the a-side and right now bantamweight's got a lot of them older names luke from frankie edgar to mr faber and uh, dominic cruz and all that so either way he's gonna get paid and he told me look i don't care about social media i don't care about talking trash about o'malley I'm here to win, basically F people up and cash checks. So he's, he's been doing that. He's been doing that. So very quickly, we did it for the main event. Let's do it for the co-main. How is this fight going to look to you? You know, Vera's going to have to try to try to get O'Malley off of his preferred plan. You know, you can't let that guy be a virtuoso in front of you and, and, and play guitar and do his dance moves, right? You got right. you got to rough him up. You got to close distance. You got to try to make some crazy scrambles. You got to find out what he's made of because if you fight Sean O'Malley at distance and allow him to take the lead, he's going he's gonna to paint you up. It's going to be a masterpiece. So um, I expect uh, Vera to be everything he says he is, which is balls to the wall. You're going to have to jump all over Sean, Malley and, and Sean O'Malley, you know, and then and they, we're going to find out right away whether Vera's got, uh, you know, a great enough ground game to keep him there, whether O'Malley's got enough adjustments or whether he's got counters waiting that are so quick that Vera may end up speeding up his exit, Luke, by running into oncoming traffic to find out how tough this kid is. Uh, again, it could be Lieben Silva all over again. And, and the other part about that is the small cage here, to me, should, again, operative word being should, benefit Cheeto, right? Because you're going to have to, I mean, you give Sean O'Malley space, he's going to set you on fire. I mean, you cannot do that. You have to really back him up close the distance, clinch him, press him against the fence. And I'm not saying that's that's the winning strategy. I just know giving him space is the losing strategy. And the shorter cage should be somewhat helpful in that regard. So if if Sean O'Malley can shine even under those conditions, good opponent, disadvantaged cage size, look out. He is going to be he's going to be something special after that. I'm I'm quite sure. All right. At heavyweight, another close one. Rosenstruck back after getting smoked by uh Francis taking on JDS, who looks like a million bucks training with Phil DeRue down there in ATT. Phil DeRue is a genius. People don't herald him enough. That guy is so smart, so talented, so dedicated. He's got these guys looking like absolute fucking animals. Dustin Poirier, too. Um, this is an interesting one. JDS has looked like he has figured out his limitations and he has worked around them. Rosenstruck had a bad last outing, but otherwise has looked... Well, I don't know. He didn't look great in the Overeem fight, but he found a way to win that one too, right? So what do you make of this one? Where Rosa struck very credible striker. JDS's chin not what it used to be, but is good at accommodating it in ways that make him still a pretty dangerous threat at, at uh, heavyweight. JDS continues to show us, Luke, like anytime you're starting to go, okay, you know, uh, he, he's in his mid-30s and he's 36 now. How much did those two losses to Kane where he took extended beatings? Look, we've been talking about that forever, yet he's still here fighting. And that four-fight win streak he had was big. I know he's lost two by knockout since then where he's sort of, like you mentioned, sealing off. He knows 
really what the limitations are. To quote the late Nazim Richardson, you're going to have to swim without getting wet here. If he can do exactly, <laughs> exactly what he did to that damn hairy guy, Ben Rothwell, where he came in there and just boxed and was quick and was smart and relied on technique and didn't try to go for the knockout, didn't try to do too much, I think he can win this fight somewhat wide, Luke. And that's not mm. a uh, mark against Rosenstruck. He'll get, again, he'll get you out of there if you give him the chance to, right? Or, and sometimes he's been able to create that chance. But I have to ask and wonder because of the hype train that Rosenstrike was on for a short period, whether, you know, he went through what Francis went through when they jackknifed him into that title shot and he had to sort of humbly hit the wall and go, oh man, I, you know, I didn't, get the, I didn't get the knockout. Who am I? I think that Rosenstrike's going to have to figure out how well-rounded he can be, how much he can improve in a short period of time. And if this isn't that night he does that, Junior DeSantos is too skilled, too experienced uh, not to win this fight. He's going to have to do it without getting without getting hit big right straight up but i think he's just so much more skilled that a third knockout loss in a row would look bad right now and he knows that and he's gonna have to avoid that so if he plays it safe enough luke i like jds here yeah he's an interesting one right because rosenstruck has this great kickboxing background and then he comes to the ufc and he like demolishes people like junior albini who's not there anymore alan crowder who's not there anymore and then he beat arlovsky really quickly with that check hook you're like wow man he must be something special and he is. And then he fights Overeem, and you're like, eh, he's not well-rounded enough. Uh, but then he found a way to win that one. So you're like, okay, you can't... I mean, hey, your record is what you says it is. Or your rec you are who your record says you are. So then he fights Francis and just gets de demolished in, like, what, 20 seconds? I mean, it was nothing. But you're like, okay, but everyone gets demolished by Francis. Here's my point. We don't exactly know how good he is in MMA yet. Like, he beat the people. Two of the three guys he beat in Arlovsky, Crowder, and... Uh, Albini, two of them aren't even there anymore. Arlovsky was a solid win, but again, I don't. And I think some of the things about his chin are overstated. But he's also not at the peak of his game. He didn't look great against Overeem, despite at the end there figuring it out. This to me is going to be a better test case to see like exactly where he fits in the heavyweight division. I mean, he's obviously good. I'm not saying it's good or bad in a binary sense. The question is, you're good. Okay, how good? We don't, we don't really have a complete understanding of that. Now, JDS has his back against the wall. Two losses in a row. I think the Blades loss was the last one. And then he had, uh, what was the one before that, before memory uh, serves? It was the uh, Francis loss. So he got smoked by yeah. Francis too, right? But you understand that. Still, he's in a much more desperate place. He looks to be trained really well. And I, I think the key for me is, do I believe that JDS can avoid the worst of what Jair brings? Yeah, I mean, because he's got, you know... Jairzinho has got a bit of like a relaxed style and JDS has a patient one, which is not the same thing as relaxed because he's really minding his P's and his Q's. It's only a three round fight. I might feel different if it was five. The small cage should help Rosenstruck, but we all know JDS has pretty good footwork, good jab, jab to the body, gets out of the way. I'll say this, this would be the most revealing win if Rosenstruck can go in there and look good in getting a win. Uh, but I don't know how likely that is. My hunch is that JDS has so many tools to like, you know what? He's the quarterback who maybe he's not on the starting, you know, Super Bowl team anymore. But when the, the starting quarterback is out and you need Kirk Cousins to manage the game, hey, he can do that against some of the opposition, right? So is he Brad Johnson? Yeah, he's, he's like, he's a... Uh, maybe they'll do for one or Super Bowl. Well, he did, you know, JDS won a uh, title too. Uh, no, it's more like, um, 
I don't know. I don't did know exactly Dilfer what. really win that Super Bowl, or was Dilfer along for the ride? Just, just yeah. I mean, the, de- the, yeah. the Ravens' defense was sick. That's true. Still, he's got the ring, you know, and he talks about it endlessly whenever he's on camera. Uh, look, you get my point. He he can do enough to beat certain kinds of opponents. The question is: Is Rosenstruck that kind of opponent, or is he not? That's what Saturday is supposed to tell us. I think. Um, yeah, all right. Is, is so Rosenstruck Vince Young, right? You know. Yeah. Who, well, no. I mean, like, who is uh, who's like your favorite backup? I mean, Kirk was a starter here, so that doesn't exactly. He's not Rex Grossman, you know. He's better than that. All right, Steve Berline. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of all the Redskins quarterbacks, and there have been so many Jason of them. Campbell, uh, Jason Campbell. Yeah. yeah, Jason Campbell was a starter, and you know what? Is he Jason Campbell? Maybe, maybe. Uh, I remember Jason no, Campbell Gus calling. Oh, bro. Gus Farrat, right? Yeah. Yeah, a little Bledsoe, you know, after a certain time. Yeah. All right, so then we got John Dotson at Bantamweight taking on Marab Davalishvili. Pretty heavy odds in favor of Davalishvili on this one. This is a weird matchup to me because Dotson has pretty good takedown defense. He's only ever really lost for the most part to the best fighters. You know, twice to Johnson uh, before he left the division. Jan, Rivera, Marlin, that kind of a thing. Lineker. But he beat Nathaniel Wood in his last outing. Looked pretty good doing it. The question is, is he done and is Davalashvili on the rise? Well, we know the latter is true, BC. We know Davalashvili is on the rise, and he has a sick motor, and then sometimes Dodson can fade late. He did that in the Johnson fights and the Pat Runez fight. But the problem with Davalashvili and why I think this one's a little bit competitive is he's got the motor and the go and the gusto, the good wrestling. Savage. He's a savage, no doubt about it. Dodson is the more technically skilled of the two. Which yeah, one but I don't like here? Dotson as ban- as a bantamweight, and I really never have, Luke. You know, and when you add in the age and the late in the career concerns, Davala uh, Shilly's gonna gonna you know run right through him. He'll be both Russian and in a hurry. I mean, this is gonna be uh, this is gonna be a big win. It's gonna be a demolition, I think, Luke. I hate you. Um, yeah. Yes, I don't know. Here's the problem: Davala Shilly is gonna have one of these records, like most takedowns, and it's like, oh, he'll be. You know, surpassing George St. Pierre for most takedowns and blah, blah. And I'm like, right, here's the difference, though. St. Pierre didn't have as many takedowns, or it took him a lot longer to get there because when he got you down, your fucking ass stayed down. The problem with, like, modern MMA and then Devalish Lee, this is what I mean, is, like, he can get the takedown. He could do it endlessly if he needs to, but he doesn't quite have that control on the ground. Dotson is very good at scrambling to that point he can stick and move and by the way i don't like him at bantamweight either if the question is where is dodson optimal but for me bc at at 35 he can still thump he can still crack he's very very good in that regard so i get your point devalishvili is big he's a machine he can go that's probably enough but it is a bit of skill versus athletic size kind of thing Dodson shaved the hair, too, Luke. I don't like that. I, I thought he was going to come in with the big bush, you know? No, I didn't like bush. the fro on him. I didn't like the fro on him. Okay. Is that me being racist? I don't mean to be. I just mean I, I like it when so. he had the head I shaved. Think so. yeah. I think so. I think so. All right, Luke. so we don't know what the opening bout is on the main card. It is probably Jim Miller taking on Vince Pichel. Jim Miller looking amazing in his first fight since the pandemic started, beating Roosevelt Roberts, which I take very seriously. I think Roosevelt Roberts is very talented. He's going to be fighting Vince Pichel, who himself is coming off of a win of Roosevelt Roberts. All right, so here's the deal here. We'll just, let's just assume, and we could be wrong about this. Let's just assume it's Pichel and Miller. 
How do you sort of size these two up? Miller told me, I was like, what are you like fighting for? Because he knows he's not going to get a title shot. It's not even fun. So we're like, why are you fighting? He's like, well, I'm still hunting that like perfect performance. I'm like, bro, that one against Roberts was pretty goddamn close if that wasn't it. Yeah, he's I mean, still he could have retired like, off that. Look, he, he could have retired. He, it was that easily, definitive. easily. And he looked phenomenal. But that's the problem. If you have a perfect performance, you're like, well, then I can just keep doing this. So here he is. Is Vince Pichel going to give him a beatdown? What do you think? Normally, I would go all Pachel here, and it's not really the age or the, where they are in their careers as much as like, well, it is where they are in their careers. When you get a guy that's still good enough with age, like Miller, he tends to win when you don't think he will and lose when you're suddenly back around on, hey, maybe he's still got it. But the difference in this one, Luke, is what we talked about on Monday. He's, there, he's in the mix of so many damn records. If he wins this fight, he breaks Cowboy's record for most wins in UFC, his, or sorry, most mm-hmm. appearances and wins. He'll, he'll already break the record for most appearances by just showing up. If he wins, he moves into like second place for wins. If he gets a submission, he moves into second place for most submissions. I mean, you know, I think that the... He's not going to win a title, so I think his title opportunity, Luke, is to be able to have the moment he'll have if he wins there. Now, look, win or lose, he's going to set the record for most appearances, but it, it would work a lot better if he can win on Saturday, post-fight, say, here's Jim Miller, you know, the, 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 the busiest fighter, and, you know, all that. I mean, look, this is his opportunity, and you could say there may be motivation in him to then win one more and one after that and actually break the UFC wins record. I don't think it'll be a record that if he breaks it, he would hold for long. There's a lot of people right around that. Cowboy's not going anywhere. But I think that's his last opportunity to be able to retire and say, you know, nobody's won more in the octagon than me. All that long-winded stuff is enough to tell me that Jim Miller is going to be in this fight, Luke, maybe more than normal. It's still pretty much a pick though. Yeah, I don't, well, the, the odds makers have, I think, what are, they, what are they saying about this? They are saying, you're right, they've got Miller as a slight underdog. And I think the reason why is because he's got pretty good takedowns. He's obviously the younger of the two, less mileage, and he's got pretty good uh, ground and pound. That's actually been a pretty strong feature of his. So if you can avoid the guard of Miller, which, granted, a big if, but if you can do that, um, obviously his ground and pound is going to sort of carry the day there. But he has been a, he's had a weird career where he was off Vince Pichel for a long time. Let's see, he fought once, excuse me, twice in 2014. He missed all of 15 and 16, fought once in 17, twice in 18, and then once in 19. So this is his first fight back. He's been wildly inconsistent by virtue of life challenges and injuries and everything else. But he's a pretty talented guy, by and large. So this will tell us exactly, you know, okay, the win over Roosevelt Roberts was nice. Was it not flukish, but, you know, did it go your way? Was the wind at your back that day or something? And this will be more of a, you know, this is going to be more of a grinder. Let's see what you got late, you know. This does the modern style of fighting with a guy who was less talented than Miller was at his peak. Is that now good enough to beat Miller? I think that's what it's going to tell us. And if it does, um, you know, he might have an exit for you. The only other fight on this card that, pay, that I pay attention to is the Yoder versus Livia Hanato Souza fight, although Felice Herrig is back against Virna Jandaroba. By the way, BC, if you're looking for the biggest uh, favorite, Jandaroba is the biggest favorite on this card by a mile. Also, Daniel Pineda is back, uh, taking on Gilbert's brother, Herbert Burns. And Pineda's had two no contests in a row over, well, he, well sort of. He had two fights overturned uh, because, let's see, he tested positive for a banned substance, which I'm not sure which one it was, but these are from the PFL. Still, very good fighter, heavy-handed, former UFC vet. Anything there, tickle your fancy. 
Nothing at all. Um, I w in fact, I would like you to, to give me the word that you think des that describes the depth of this pay-per-view card. Uh, you know, like when I use my Sony a7 III with the 16-millimeter lens with a 1.8 f-stop, shallow. Shallow depth of field is the way I would describe okay. it. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Sorry, these, I was sitting on pillows. It was hurting my ass. I know the camera's on us this whole show, so I'll. Well, I mean, my, my wife is sitting here attaching to my Bluetooth speaker in the middle of the show. I mean, That's what the great. fuck are we doing? Uh, very and quickly. And I know, I know, I'm putting on some shelving. Remember when David Crosby had that intervention, Luke, in the early '80s from his friends because he was about to die from drugs, and they were like, "We need you to go on this helicopter right here to go BC. and get help." You see, and he's. I have important work to get to, which you know uh, what I'm talking about. We got to wrap this up. Let's All right, well, odds my point is David Crosby said, I'll only go to rehab if I, can, if I can shoot up heroin on the drive there. That's where I'm at with my health as I wait for this Peloton to get delivered. Okay, Luke, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, let's go to uh, real quick odds and ends. You all right with this? Yes, please. What's your odds and ends for today? I can't believe Paige Van Zandt actually signed with BKFC Bare Knuckle <laughs> Fighting. Now, look, shout out to David Feldman and company. This is their biggest signing, like, by far. We've seen Ariel have a disputed report. First, he said it was a multi-year deal worth just add a million with incentives. Now they're saying multi-year with more millions. Um, Luke, it's easy sometimes to rip PVZ and her commitment. I don't get this. I, I get that she wants money, and this will be, you know, more money than she's maybe ever made combined. But this is the damn bottom of the food chain in the fight game and the one that leaves you the most marked up. And I saw her quotes to Ariel, which were like, you know, everyone thinks I'm just another pretty face, so I'll show them. Yeah, I'll show them by destroying my pretty face. I don't get this because even yeah. when you win in BKFC, you still lose, Luke. That's why it's the last stop, okay? I don't get it. What are we doing here? Yeah, I don't get it either. I mean, part of the things like when she wins, how does she win? She has like these bursts of creativity or risk taking, but like in more high, high flying ways, not in and kicks. Yeah, yeah you can't exactly. Kick in this, like j not. I'm gonna just take my gloves off and just shear each other's faces with knuckles. I I'll say this: the guy who runs BKFC, you know, you can say what you want about Bare Knuckle, but the guy who runs it, David Feldman, is. I, I think I said this on this show. He is deceptively smart. He finds ways to get big signings. And listen, the money might be must be real because we both talked to Paulie when he fought uh, Artem Lobov down there, yes. and he was very explicit. He's like, "I'm not doing this unless I'm getting paid." Okay, well, he must have gotten paid for it because he went ahead and did it. So, my hunch is that maybe Bellator made her an offer. I don't know, and it just wasn't nearly as good as this one. Maybe she's got in mind, you know, a few fights and I'm out or something. I, I it's hard to know what her goals are with what the what, what the money was in other offers and how to how to navigate all that all this is to I say wonder if if bkfc got an offer from a tattoo parlor where they're like look tell Paige we'll work on her husband's throw if she comes fights with us you know we'll cover that up that was a, you know it was a, it was a bad I, idea i think it's true i'm not i i went to the ufc expo back when those were things when saint pierre fought um who did he fight shields in toronto I went to that expo to just take a look around. It was very cool, by the way. Uh, I, I could have sworn there was a tattoo stand where if you got I Love UFC tattooed, they were doing it for free. I don't think the UFC had coordinated that. I think it was just an independent tattoo person. I could be wrong about that. I'm, the details are a little hazy, but I think I remember that. In any event, I'll say this. Listen, if she's going to get paid, let's say, 400 k about, which I don't think is crazy necessarily... 
that's decent coin. And if she sells on the back end, and maybe she's got some, you know, you like like a like a pay per view incentive, like they did for UFC. You know, I do think she will move the needle there. But to your point, is the juice worth the squeeze? If you get sliced up, I don't know how good that is for you. By the way, like you either win, you know, uh, it's not like she's super heavy handed. You might win, Dude, but it goes go to long. Bellator and f- go to Bellator and fight a person who's straight off the regional tour and headline cards and get praise and right, then try right. wrestling. Do, and- do, dude, what Valerie Lareda is doing is, again, yes. she's in a different part of her career. That is so much smarter. Coker gives her, and again, she's only 3-0, and but giving her the right fights, so you get to keep your sponsors in Bellator and you know, fight where you can have some advantages and use the full breadth of your ability. She's had a ton of injuries, Paige Van Zandt. I got to tell you, I'm not sure I understand it. I am not no, sure I, I understand it at all, but I all guess right, she's going to get paid Bitcoin. Be- before we get off, great news in boxing. One of the biggest fights is now looks like it's locked up thanks to uh, various sources from various uh, outlets. Vasily Lomachenko, your pound-for-pound king, the rising star Teofimo Lopez Jr., all four lightweight titles on the line, Luke. They're looking at October 17th in Vegas. Look at this. Lomachenko gave part of his purse back to Teofimo to make sure that there was enough money in the pot to make it happen. Obviously, they'll do it in the bubble without, without a live gate or fans. But, Luke, the kicker for boxing, and this is big, seriously. This was intended to be on pay-per-view. Now they're targeting regular ESPN. That's a huge win for boxing, and boxing rarely, rarely does that. Mm. Really gives us huge wins. So I'm fired up. How much does that, the old wizard and 32-year-old Lomachenko against a guy in Lopez who Roy Jones compared to young Roy Jones, how much does that get you fired up? Yeah, and for free on ESPN, if that ends up being true, one they could easily charge for pay-per-view. Dude, that is huge. I mean, I'll give a Bob Arum credit. I'll give Top Rank credit. I'll give, you know who deserves credit? The most credit, perhaps, Lomachenko, who took a haircut on the purse to make the fight possible. A lot of box- Bud Crawford's like, I'm not taking a haircut. Fuck that. Lomachenko did it against a young, hungry, crazy talented, a guy who literally punches his opponents behind his own back. Uh, Teofimo Lopez, you were the guy who put me onto him. He is a sensational fighter. And so for Lomachenko to make that kind of sacrifice to then take on the toughest challenge that the fans wanted to see... I tip my hat to him, man. That is that is yeah. what boxing needs to do right now, anyway, to make the biggest fights possible. And if if the stories are reported and that was what he did, I I, I commend Lomachenko sincerely. And Teo's amazing just gesture by him. He just turned twenty three. It's amazing. Luke, final bit of news. I got to pour one out to my got, spirit dude, got, animal. Dude, seriously, we need to wrap this up. I'm not doing a fucking bit here. Wrap it up. This dude, is please. it. I got to pour one out to my spirit animal, Beth. Betch Cohea following that loss got cut by the UFC. I love the Betch Cohea era. And in fact, Luke, have you ever heard of Flying Dog Brewery in Frederick, Maryland? Yes. yes. Okay, I've been to well, the brewery. They produce a combat sports themed brew. They love our show so much they sent me some. It's called Vicious Hook. They say it's a disobedient bear. It's a fruit punch sour, Luke, by the good friends at Flying Dog. I'm going to pour one out for Betch Cohea right down my throat here. Shout out to... Uh, Flying dog. I get down on the sours, Luke. This is a fruit punch sour, all right? So you like the lambics? I think that is a yes. All right. For my odds and ends very quickly, Javier Mendez was asked, you know, uh, if, if, if DC wins and is offered a Jones fight, is that something he might do? And there was a bunch of different ways that Mendez answered it. But the one thing he did say was he is not performing like a 41-year-old. He is performing like a, a guy, you know, 10 years younger than that. And if he wanted to do it, he would support him 
and corner him. The door is not closed on John Jones at heavyweight at all. I know we had the Deontay Wilder money and blah, 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 and all this stuff. No, dude. They, it is still very much alive. Might be alive for Stipe as well. We just haven't had a lot of those conversations. But Javier Mendez giving oxygen to the idea that uh, from a performance standpoint, DC has a lot left in the tank. And you get a big win. And if it's quick on Saturday, like the first fight, one never knows. So we will have Luke, to the see. the best All thing right. that can happen to our sport is that the winner of Saturday's main event gets John Jones next. That's the best thing because I'm telling you right now, Saturday's main event is the most prestigious in, in one of the most important fights in UFC history. Jones DC3, even bigger, even more important, even more prestigious to legacies. Um, I hope that if DC wins, we get a John Jones, get your shit together. I'm coming after you and try to come after this uh, vicious hook beer. Luke, Luke, the carbonation just exploded on my BC, carpet. As BC, you are killing me right now, dude. I really need to go. Listen, let's plug this tomorrow. You and I are going to be, I'm not sure if it's on this channel or it's going to be on the Showtime Sports channel uh, on, on YouTube. We'll get some clarification for it. But you and I are going to be hosting the weigh-ins for Benavidez Angulo Showtime Championship Boxing Back Super Middleweight Contest on Saturday. The weigh-ins are tomorrow. We will start at 10.45 in the morning and get the fans ready for that, that main event and, of course, everything else on that card. So stay tuned to our social media channels. I think Jay will put them up here. Uh, you can follow BC on Twitter or on Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram. You can follow Morning Combat on Instagram as well as on uh, YouTube as well. There you go. You can see all the stuff uh, putting up there as well. Okay, so we got to get out of here. For uh, Malka, for Showtime, for BC, I'm Luke Thomas. Join us tomorrow morning, 10.45 a.m. for the Benavidez Angulo weigh-ins. And until then, may all of your gains be loyal.